I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Uh, this is going to be really fun. We're uh, we are sitting down uh, on this Wednesday with uh, with Lisa Purdy, uh, who is a medical laboratory technologist. Don't know what that means, really. Can't wait to get into that. Uh, but uh, other than that, also uh, Lisa works at the University of Alberta as an associate professor and is the director of the medical laboratory science program. Very fun. But we're also hanging out with uh, Chaska Vilchez, who actually put us in touch with Lisa. And uh, Chaska is a recent graduate of said program and is currently working in microbiology. I feel like we are among uh, very smart people here, fellas. Yeah. And uh, I, I, have, I have a feeling we're going to be learning a little bit about something. Which also leads us to... Do you feel intimidated, to, Jeremy? Always. This, always. Well, always. I mean, this kind of leads <laughs> us to our first question. Like, it would Would either of you folks know who we would have to ask about getting our honorary degrees. <laughs> yeah, where do you submit that request? <laughs> and do you have the power to make that happen? <laughs> well, if you want an honorary degree from the U of A, we could probably put the wheels in motion. Uh, <laughs> it would not be me granting it. Uh, <laughs> well, hell yeah. There's got to be some system where I can make a recommendation. <laughs> I mean, that's perfect timing because we're coming up there on uh, September 19th to do a live show. So uh, tickets are on sale now. Please go check them out. Uh, a quick little plug there. Lisa, um, first, I guess the first question is, um, what is what is your what is your job? What, like, what is a what is a medical medical laboratory technologist? Are you working with like, are you are you the person when I when I go into the into the hospital? Um, are you the person that's getting my vials of blood and like putting them in centrifuges and trying to figure out what kind of weird shit's going on with my health? Pretty much in a nutshell. Oh, wow. um, the role kind of varies across Canada, depending where you're at, um, if from urban to rural, especially. So a laboratory technologist is usually the one that's in the lab using that centrifuge, using the analyzers. In lots of places in Canada, the person that's taking your blood is actually referred to as a medical laboratory technician or medical laboratory assistant, depending where you are. Um, so there's lots of different classifications of laboratory professionals that are looking after those samples and making sure that the physician gets the information that they need in order to take care of the patient. Okay. So, so, so do technically, are you working in, in like a clinical laboratory, like a laboratory that is, I guess tied to a hospital? Yep, absolutely. Okay. Um, so Chaska in microbiology um, will be affiliated with a clinical lab that's, in her instance, running COVID samples. <laughs> what, what is, um, when, like, when, I, when I 
when I hear about the the um the sort of universe that encompasses the like for example like the example that you gave there, Jer, like you're you you know, you go into the hospital, you get your blood taken, and then it ends up at the laboratory and it gets analyzed and then those results and everything, all the information that comes from that sample gets back to a um, a physician or a team of healthcare professionals and then that information gets relayed back to the patient. One thing that I could, that like, the first thing that jumps to mind is just how like generally pissed people are about how how long stuff takes in, in, <laughs> yeah. for like anything to occur yeah. in the healthcare system, period. And, and then, what you just said right there consists of such so a many, network yeah. of like webs of of like inf- an information chain yeah. that is so long and 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 like quite complex. And I'm generally the type of person that when something it, you know takes a long time or or or, or, or seems complex, I'm generally the type of person that goes like there's probably a lot happening that like I'm not really aware of and the the whole logistical process of everything. Could you kind of like run us <laughs> run us through what that whole logistics sort of like line looks like and how that that work gets done? Sure. Okay. So let's, um, there's lots of different types of samples that can come out of a human body that sure. could be analyzed, right? right. Yep. So we can go through a few different examples, Would that sure. be helpful? Yeah, 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 sure. Yeah. All right. So probably the most uh, typical one would be you go to the doctor for your annual checkup and they decide that they need to test things in your blood in order to determine how healthy you are, right? So they give you a requisition and they send you to some community collection site where somebody draws your blood samples and then off they go. Um, There is usually indicators of general health. Check your glucose levels to see um, what what kind of things are happening with your glucose, an indicator of diabetes. Often they'll check uh, lipid levels, um, sort of overall marker of um, how uh, how your body's managing lipids. Are you and what your mostly what your triglyceride levels are? Um, other things that they might test um, are what your blood cells look like. Um, so for um, a lot of the population, a hemoglobin level is important. It's sort of an indicator of what uh, the status is of your bone marrow making blood. Mm. And of course the hemoglobin is what carries the oxygen to every um, cell in your body. Mm -hmm. So those would be the three ones that I would think of um, that would be the sort of routine things uh, that a physician might monitor on an annual basis. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you have an infection, of course, or you have symptoms of something that obviously changes the nature of what the doctor might order. Right. I, I have an, uh, can I ask a little question here? Because yeah. one of the things that I'm no, that I'm realizing, in, even just through you kind of talking out what you might be looking for in terms of like markers and blood is that there's, there's, there's probably a ton of other examples of samples that would probably come across, uh, you know, a table like yours, uh, or, or even yours, Chaska. Um, can can we play like a quick little game of like each of us guessing what a possible sample could be, and then and and we just go until we run out. Wait, like and, a game of categories, right? Like well, we like, just keep naming them. Yeah, until we, we name we them until we can't. Yeah, okay. but but we see if uh, if Lisa and Chaska like they give us the green light of like yes, that okay. is a sample <laughs> right. now. Fecal. Yes. Okay. Good. Good job, Brian. I'm uh, not answering yes start. for Brian, but Lisa, is that correct? <laughs> yeah, that's a good start, and probably the grossest you can get, right? All right. All right. I'm, I'm gonna. Okay. I, I'll. I am semen. I'll say it. Semen samples. 
Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. I was going to think that I because I was thinking semen, but then I was like, I feel like that maybe goes to another department. But I guess I guess it's all encompassing. It's a laboratory. Um, urine. Lab. Yeah. Lab. So they have infertility clinics where they would analyze markers in semen. Right. So not yeah. just whether they're swimmers, but is the right. environment for the swimmers healthy? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, saliva. Nice. Yeah. Oh, nice. I feel like that might be one that uh, Chaska might be like kind of getting her eyes on as mm. of late with, with working in microbiology. Maybe, I don't know. Like I'm thinking COVID. I mean, I guess, would you call it saliva? No, it's not. What, what, what? So that would be mucus. Mucus. Yeah, yeah right. Thanks. Thanks. But, yeah, mucus. we usually use nasopharyngeal swabs. So those are the ones that go up your nose and like feel like they're tickling your brain. And would that be considered sputum? Um, no. Okay. Sputum is a different... Well, it's deep. It's deeper. I'll, I'll guess sputum okay, so uh, is also one. one yeah, <laughs> it's one that also goes in. Okay, there. interesting. Absolutely, uh, and that's a hard one to collect, right? Because you yeah. got to get it out from deep down and and not have it just be saliva. Yeah, Wait, not, not hard for me to uh, to give it. I'll, I'll tell you that right now. Right, so yeah. I, I can whip that stuff up. Yeah, you gotta you gotta reserve. Med can, Lab loves my sputum. Can Can you give us a quick um a quick What's a differentiator between sputum and saliva? Mm, There's a question. certain level of goo, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> Technically Sometimes speaking. Sometimes they get sputums and they are thick and chunky and Ew. like not a liquid <laughs> at all. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know. Kind you know, of a like, solid almost. You know when you cough and you go, oh, God, what's that? Yeah, Ew. that's sputum. That's sputum. Yeah. Um, do you do skin? Would you do like, would you take any like skin samples? Yeah, so they might do biopsies, right? So let's say you have a mole that looks a little funny or you've got a patch of skin that doesn't mm. have, it doesn't look the same as it used to. Mm. Um, dermatologists may take a biopsy of it and send it to the lab to see if you've unfortunately got skin cancer starting, right? Mm. Okay. I, I well, feel like we're like scraping the bottom of the barrel here. Like, I, feel well, like the, scraping, I feel like the trick answer a, is just is everything. everything. <laughs> well, yeah, what, now that we're scraping, why don't we say uh, tissue? any kind of tissue there you go. Um, and i would say probably in every province in canada would be the same as alberta but legally any tissue that's removed from a body needs to be sent to the lab right huh. I, what, what, I have one more guess okay. and it's two it's two of them um hair and sweat sweat, sweat. oh chaska i'm gonna test you what would you sweat what do we do what do we do with sweat we can do a sweat chloride test yeah, insider information on that one, but the sweat chloride is um, what they do to, to test the little youngins on uh, uh, whether or not they're cystic fibrosis. Oh, right. wow, yeah, there you go. Right. What, about, uh, what about hair? Fibrosis has actually become one of the path, one of the um, yeah, <laughs> diseases that they test for now in newborns. That's right, yeah, yeah. They, they screen all newborns now, which, which when I was born was not the case, which is why okay. I was not diagnosed until later in life. Um, um, I have a the saltiest child, <laughs> even though I was salty as hell. <laughs> so yeah. salty. I have one more. Um, and maybe this is just a, a part of like what is done when you do like blood or saliva. Um, but DNA. Yep, absolutely. So, and that, and that's a program that's growing and growing, right? Mm. Um, lots of the leukemias, the blood cancers now, right. They, they will look for genetic markers and it actually changes the treatment pathway for the patient, depending on exactly where that cancer stems from. Mm. 
pretty cool. They're starting to really tailor make treatments. I'm, so are we making a good case for ourselves in terms of getting those honorary doctorates? Yeah, absolutely. Or, uh, you guys are stellar. <laughs> We've had a conversation you know, or two. I, I'm, I'm Class curious, starts so, on Monday if you actually want to just come and take the degree. Well, well, there's there's a lot of different things here. So I'm I'm curious, like, are these different specialties? Like, how do you break these down when you're when Ooh. you're teaching them? Yeah. So in Canada, we kind of break the medical laboratory. T- technologists up into there's five different disciplines um and that's different in different countries so interestingly enough um, an american can't just come to canada and work as a lab tech they actually don't have training in the same five disciplines Mm. um so the first discipline would be microbiology where chaska's currently working and microbiology is growing whatever pathogen may be grow um and identifying it so that could be bacteria uh it could be viruses it could be fungi um, and then obviously then you want to give the physician information around what antibiotics or medications they could use to treat the infection. Mm. Uh, the next one would be clinical biochemistry. And so that's looking at how your organs are functioning. Um, kidneys, uh, liver would be big ones that we look at. Back to that, uh, looking at your lipids in your blood, all done in the biochemistry lab. Lots of specialty areas within biochemistry. So for example, that newborn newborn metabolic screening that we mentioned, there's a whole host of over 20 different genetic diseases that they test newborns for, and that would mm. be done uh, in, the, in the biochemistry department. Toxicology, um, so uh, therapeutic drug monitoring, but also illicit drug um, identification would all be done in toxicology. Mm. Uh, I'm, probably think, I'm probably forgetting some areas there. Uh, hematology is blood cells. Uh, and so again, routine hematology, but also blood cancers, um, and Mm. proper identification of those. And then, uh, a sidearm of those two combined is actually a, and a big one here at the university. We're a big transplant center. So we actually have a Mm. department that manages both the donor and the recipients on the side of transplants, making sure the testing is complete there. It's it's pretty wild to think like how how much um how much lab techs play an integral role in in like the in in aiding physicians to to like diagnose prognosis to give prognosis to help monitor disease like that that is something that I've never actually really so thought about I've never thought of this yeah. ever in my entire life I didn't know that this was it, it's very interesting you're like almost getting thing. like a peek like behind the veil of like oh what's going on back there how's they're, this all how's this all operate this is how doctors are so smart because <laughs> they're relying well, on the text and they, they say that 70% 70 they say that 70% of all diagnoses are made off of a decision tree that involves a lab result. Wow, wow. interesting. That's amazing. I was uh, I was listening to a I was re- listening to a really interesting podcast recently about kind of like the future of of uh, of cancer screening and diagnostics and um, and they they sort of did a deep dive into into uh, sensitivity and specificity of 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 testing and how to kind of strike the right balance between that and um and from what I gather you know the the tests are developed you know by you know, PhD candidates and 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 so forth in their research, um, and then those end up being or the, the the tests that work or work well enough end up being I'm assuming the tests that you're all running in laboratories, um, and and let me know if I'm using this terminology correctly. What is the what are some of the tests that are that have um, 
would it be would it be that they have uh, like low specificity, meaning that there's like a high margin for error uh, for 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 a, an, a a false negative or a false positive? I'm sorry. There are cutoffs. If so, let's say somebody develops something, there would be a cutoff with which the lab wouldn't ex accept that test because the specificity would be too low. Right. Um, so you don't want to be putting out uh, lab results that have a huge number of false positives, right? Um, so we tend to like tests that are highly specific and highly sensitive mm -hmm. <laughs> so right. that we're not missing, <laughs> we're not getting a false negative either. Um, kind can of goes in both directions. Can you explain, um, can you explain specificity and, um, and uh, sensitivity to, mm. to our, to our audience? Cause it's something Absolutely. that I've been mm -hmm. looking a lot into lately that I became like really interested in through listening to a couple of medical podcasts that I follow. Sure. So sensitivity is making sure that whatever assay you've developed and you're going to run in a clinical lab will actually pick up as many of the true positives as it can. So it's highly sensitive. It's there. You're not going to miss anyone specificity is making sure um, that the test is specific enough that you don't get what they call a false positive, meaning you just told somebody they have cancer and they actually don't. Mm -hmm. um, so you want, you want highly specific as well. So you want to get everybody, but not get any more than everybody basically. Yeah. And labs yeah. and lab people are uh, pretty linear in their thinking They you know, they shoot for a hundred percent. That's obviously not possible in any test, but that would yeah. be the Standard. And when I and I, when I was when I was listening to this other podcast, they they were talking about um, in terms of developing tests for you know identifying you know kind of anything under the sun that there's a really that that it's hard to strike a balance. It's hard to get both of those numbers really high. Like you sort of have to give up a little bit of one to get a high amount of the other. Which I yeah. which I, I was like, oh wow. I mean, I just something that I never even really thought about because when I think about when I think about uh, I, I, and I think this is probably true for the for the average person. When I think about a test, a medical test, I just think about it being black or white. I have it or I don't, mm, and, and, yeah. they're, and they're not being much room for uh, error mm -hmm. in that. With with COVID and um, and rapid uh, antigen tests versus PCR tests, are antigen tests are they more sensitive, um, and PCR tests would be less sensitive, or is it? Okay, the opposite. So a rapid test is picking up the actual virus. Um, so antigens on the surface of the virus. And you have to have a high enough viral load for that test to look positive. And I, I mean, we've all done one now. It looks like a pregnancy test, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so in, in order to have that color change happen on the stick, you need to have enough virus in your body. Mm -hmm. The PCR test is actually picking up the nucleic acid um, the RNA of that virus. And so you don't need as high a load. So that swab, that, that nasopharyngeal swab that Chaska mentioned that gets sent to the lab, basically what they do is they um, put it in a bunch of liquid and they get the virus off of the Q-tip and they don't need very many copies of virus in order to show a positive. It's very sensitive. Okay. How, how, has, uh, how has COVID, has, has COVID changed like it seems to have changed basically everything. Um, <laughs> how has it changed the work that you all do or, um, and has it changed 
the the average person's like critique of what you do because all of a sudden you know everybody in the world is getting tests yeah. done <laughs> super frequently you got a bunch of dum-dums of- like us talking about specificity and sensitivity <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's right and i have friends where you know they're pcr experts now and right. i don't even think they ever took biology <laughs> right yeah i mean yeah you have like i mean how many like i can't um, i can't think of outside of no i mean i i honestly before covid i can't even think of a time where i got tests done like no. blood, like the odd blood sample every few years sort of thing. And then all of a sudden we're in an environment where, you know, some people are testing themselves every week for yeah. COVID. Yeah, it's absolutely right. Um, and it's had really good things for the lab in that it's brought us into the um, out of the basement or out of the, you know, behind those solid doors in the hospital and, mm-hmm. and given lab techs a real presence. And so there's a mm-hmm. lot of good advocacy work that's happened around that because people have finally figured out that samples go somewhere Um, but yeah again we have a lot of armchair lab techs now who um, (laughs) and that makes for fun at parties right i was gonna say that's always fun yeah yeah Yeah. what yeah what happens when you go to a when you go to a dinner party and you're like i analyze covid samples (laughs) like i'm sure you get some pretty interesting what's the craziest thing you've heard (laughs) in the last couple years (laughs) think of your favorite one-hit wonder or that overpriced toy your parents would never let you have or that tv show that no one else remembers because it was canceled way too soon now what if we could fix it I'm Francesca Ramsey. And I'm Delon Grant. And after 20 years of friendship, we are now hosting a new nostalgia podcast called Let Me Fix It. Each episode, we'll dig into our favorite celebrities, shows, and brands of yesteryear, and then imagine what it would take to repackage them for relevance today. Think of our show as an intervention, but with way less stakes. So subscribe to Let Me Fix It wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I got I got a serious question for 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 you, Chaska. Um, uh, you recently graduated, and and you're and you're and you you went down the route of microbiology. So I'm wondering how much of that decision um, what, did you make that decision before COVID happened? Did you make it during COVID? And did COVID play a, a role in your decision to actually follow uh, your pursuit in, in microbiology specifically? Uh, well. COVID hit right towards the end of my first year actually in the program. Okay. So I was already well into the program when COVID hit. At that point, were you like, yes, this is going to be more interesting than it was going to be? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the new grads got jobs in COVID. Right. Including myself, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Pretty much everyone else at my hospital who works on the COVID bench is also a new grad. Mm. We're all doing COVID. Was that was that partly your decision, or was that also partly because of the need mm. to analyze so many samples? I think it's a big part of it is the need that they just have so many COVID samples to run, and they didn't have the staff trained on it yet. So. Oh. If you're yeah. hiring a new grad, you're going to have to train them anyways. You might as well train them on the new bench and have them work COVIDs. 
Were, were, was there um, like a table set up in the hallway at your school where they were like recruiting people? It, it kind of reminds me of like the military setting up in <laughs> yeah, high schools, yeah, like yeah. recruiting, yeah. recruiting like high school students. Slightly so less predatory <laughs> though. Did they have like cool, like motivational videos and stuff on screens that they were like this it's wartime <laughs> and you need to come in and, and, and serve your country. Wartime in the laboratory for yeah. sure. I mean, I was already halfway trained when COVID hit, so <laughs> right, yeah, you right. were bothered. Too late for me. I mean, <laughs> Lisa can speak to for the new grads. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because we haven't seen a huge uptick in applications. Um, mm. So maybe we're just not capitalizing appropriately on this newfound fame that we have. I'm not sure. Yeah, we could help you run a good marketing campaign. I'm sure we, we could come did. up with some ideas, I cool commercials. Could. Absolutely, yeah. we've got a lot of cool commercial ideas. <laughs> I know. I know that in in certain um, aspects of the healthcare system in Canada, when it comes to um, the workforce, um, specifically, I'm thinking a lot about like nurses. We just speak recently did had a conversation with um, with a, a nurses like. Um, union group and and one of the things they were saying was that there's like a massive shortage um and 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 really intense burnout um at, at like an accelerated rate happening across the country um so what what's the what's the situation with like med techs uh, laboratory techs um and in and the workforce and like is there is it again with like covid and everything and and just the way that the healthcare system has kind of like been taxed over the last couple of years is there is there a lot, are you, are you seeing more burnout than, than maybe typically in, you have in the past, like, you know, number of years? I would say the short answer is yes, that um, it's probably, it's pervasive with every health professional right now. The last two and a half years have been extraordinary. Mm. So across the country, there was a shortage of lab techs well before COVID started. The Canadian Society for Medical Laboratory Science is our national association, mm. and they've done a lot of advocacy work with Parliament, um, you know, trying to increase the number of seats for training um, and sort of do creative things in order to generate more lab techs and then COVID hit. And, you know, so for example, all of a sudden we have an extra 20,000 lab tests a day that we're running mm -hmm. in Edmonton <clears throat> within a few weeks <laughs> mm -hmm. and there just wasn't the bodies for it. So what they ended up doing was they seconded people from other areas of the lab and it's going to take a long time to write that bus again and to get everyone yeah. sort of feeling stable. And so Chaska is completely right. They've just hired this influx of new people. Um, I think we're going to see, we're going to see a lot of retirements in the next little while because people are tired. Mm -hmm. Something that we, uh, something that we've covered a few times on the show is with COVID um, coming to the forefront of, uh, uh, of everything is, is the, the shift away from, is that it pulls resources uh, and then all of a sudden there is, um, you know, this maybe kind of false picture of how many people are diagnosed with cancer in a couple of years because, you know, less people are going to the hospital. And then all of a sudden we open things back up and there's, a, you know, there's a massive uptick in diagnoses of other things because now people are more, more people are going to the hospital. But um, like how, how, how has that manifested? How has that manifested in the lab in terms of, um, Kind of like, and maybe this isn't maybe these aren't statistics that you that you track, but the the sort of like prevalence of uh, of certain of certain things showing up in in tests or or tests that are being uh, um, requisitioned because of COVID and um, all of the kind of influence that it 
that it, that it has on on the medical system. And you're 100% correct. Um, I don't know if that's a statistic that the lab is actually tracking, but it it absolutely is. We're going to be part of that trickle. So at the very beginning of COVID in our jurisdiction, and I'm assuming it's the same across Canada, even family physicians were asked to not order any test that was not absolutely critical. Mm. A lot of the specialty clinics, if you know you get to see a specialist, uh, specialized doctor, a lot of those were closed. They weren't even taking patients. So mm. those lab tests weren't being ordered. And the ba- the bottom line was you just couldn't overwhelm the lab because they were busy trying to figure out all these COVID samples, right? Mm. And so at some point, all of those people have to go for that blood work. Um, and you're, that's the unfortunate thing about COVID is all of the people who didn't get the surgery that they needed in the, in the timing that they needed it. Um, and they obviously, many of those cancer diagnoses would have started with some sort of lab result as the entry point to sort of figuring out what the clinical map looks like. Mm-hmm. So definitely, um, I don't know that we'll ever know the true cost of COVID. Um, yeah, that feels very sober and yeah, <laughs> somber no. way to say it, but it's true. I mean, it kind of feels like it feels like the ground floor of that whole concept might kind of start with somebody in the lab one day going like, hmm, I haven't seen nearly as many leukemia positives coming through lately. And then and then kind of realizing years later that that thought is now manifesting in all of these people who had who did have leukemia, but didn't or, or whatever. And, yeah. and, uh, and didn't end up getting that test and the, and the negative, the negative consequences that come from that, from mm-hmm. getting later diagnoses and, 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 and then the taxation that then that puts back onto the healthcare system that was, you know, taxed extremely hard in the first place. Right. And we're already hearing about some people who, you know, in the media hearing about some people whose cancer wasn't diagnosed mm. in a timely fashion and, and their, and their outcome has perhaps been different. And I think you're right. We're just seeing the tip of the iceberg of that now. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. This is making me think a lot about, I've been thinking about how important medical lab techs are. And the thing that I, that I really don't know about is, is that like the educational path to becoming a medical laboratory technician, what, what does that look like? What what would be like the typical sort of journey of a student who finds themselves being interested in pursuing this as, as a career? How do they get involved in the program? Usually there's somebody that has always been interested in biology and specifically human biology, and they are um, have great attention to detail, highly organized, kind of like to work with their hands, aren't that jazzed about maybe working with patients in a frontline kind of way, but have that altruistic bend of wanting to contribute uh, to patient-centered care. And those are the types of individuals that find their way to me and end up being highly successful in the program. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it depends across Canada. uh, There's lots of um, colleges and uh, polytechniques where students would enter directly from high school. And then a program like ours, uh, they one year of post-secondary is required to do a bunch of chemistry and biology prereqs before they come mm. to us. Mm-hmm. And then we can just fill their head full of all kinds of lab-related things really mm-hmm. quickly. And so the program at, at the University of Alberta, that's a degree, undergraduate degree program? Yeah. So there's only two degree programs across the country. There's us and um, a school in Ontario. Uh, the rest are all diploma programs. Okay. Oh, but they all write the same national certification exam. 
Yeah. How many how many years does it take to graduate? Typically, <laughs> <laughs> well, our program is three, so it's a uh, so a lot of students don't don't do it in a typical four year degree. We get a lot of students who you know they've been in general science for a couple of years and realize that that's just not for them, and so then they transfer mm. into us. So their degree might be a little bit longer. Most of the schools across <laughs> Canada are. are at, at minimum two and a half years. Lisa, what drew you to the, uh, to this, this line of work? Um, well, my roommate in my second year of university applied. And when she came home and told me she had an interview, I was like, Oh, what's that? (laughs) (laughs) There was a lot of forethought went into it. (laughs) Instinct instinct is good. Instinct, instinct is, uh, is a key, is a key, uh, value. It does, it does make me think like for, especially for high school students who, who don't know what they want to do in in post-secondary, um, one of the things that I, that helped me make my decision when I was thinking about going to university was I wanted to take a program that when I graduated would have, as I'd be able to do some sort of specific job. Um, a lot of people who take, you know, arts or business or things like that, you know, they, they oftentimes you hear stories of, of how they struggle to find work, um, related to their areas of study afterwards. And so, I mean, what a, what an incredible program to be able to, to graduate and be able to actually do, um, work in your field. At least that's what I, that's what I guess. So like I, my, my, I guess my question about that is how do you it, choosing like one of these areas that you want to specialize in, what type of education ha- happens after the, um, degree program finishes? A lot of it is on the job. Um, so in a diploma program, it would be on the job. Um, with the degree program, we have a little bit of extra time with the students. And so we do allow them the ability to take advanced classes in the final year of the program. Many of them do a research program in one of those areas of the lab that they're interested in, or they can take advanced courses. We also use our senior students as teaching assistants. And so Chaska would have very probably TA'd in microbiology in order to... Um, beef up her skills. Yeah, I actually did transfusion and hematology ITA. There you go. Do a micro. A bit of a renaissance woman. <laughs> I feel like I feel like these conversations and, and and sort of like specifically sort of around the like how we've been orbiting for the last few minutes on on like what the educational aspect like the, the sort of the pathway is is this is really important like cuz when I think of myself as a when I think of myself as as a high school aged person who is trying to think about, you know, what I, well, I had a lot of preoccupations with sports, which kind of clouded my brain, but, um, uh, in more than one way. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Very much so. And, uh, and, and, and I didn't think of myself as somebody who was, who was, uh, science oriented and, and now in my adult life, I'm obsessed with science. I, I am, I am, I, try to educate myself basically the best that I could possibly do without going back to school for it. And, uh, and, and I wish in hindsight, I, I love what I do, but I, I wish in hindsight that I had 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 more access to the ideas and the roots and the options that were possible in the science world. And mm-hmm. that's, I wish that science was communicated in a more accessible way. And um, you wish that you didn't have to do your own research so much. 
Yeah, well, yeah, I a big do your own research. Yeah, type of not guy. in the do your own research <laughs> sort of context that has emerged, <laughs> but yes. But to your point there, they're like there, there's you know when you when you stumble across uh, someone who has the ability to communicate science in a, in an educational way that's really accessible. Yeah, it's beautiful, and it's, it's something so, that it's has so emerged that mm. has like emerged out of out of a lot of social media, uh, YouTube type yeah, of stuff, like where, totally. where you can find people that are science educators that have, instead of, uh, instead of going into teaching roles, for example, they've, you know, amassed an audience, uh, on, uh, like Veritasium uh, 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 like or Vsauce or something like that. Yeah, totally. Yeah. That are yeah. just making, making science, uh, digestible and accessible. Making to yeah. the science average cool again. Yeah, I mean, it's always, always, it's always, cool. it's always yeah. been cool. Just not enough people cool. knew it. I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna make a. I think I'm gonna put that on a red hat. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, Lisa, uh, one one kind of final question that I that I'd like to ask, especially especially considering that you work um, as a as an associate professor, and and I'm I'm guessing you have like a uh, a little bit of a, like a, a a finger on the on the pulse of like what's happening in the in the in the um in the advancements of of technology that that is you know within the realm of of medtechs what is there anything in the works right now that's really kind of exciting you about the future of the work that you are teaching or the future of the work that you were you were actually doing yeah there is um there's an entire um movement of um a principle called precision medicine. And so precision medicine being that we're gonna tailor whatever that treatment is for the patient specifically. So you hear about it in the media sometimes when you hear, you know, people went to the States and they had this yeah. million dollar treatment. Most likely it's it's sort of the beginning of that. So we've got lots of room in Canada to move forward. There's lots of exciting things coming out on the treatments of blood cancers um using precision medicine technology and so i i honestly think that that's sort of the way the lab clinical lab will be going in the future cool interesting yeah. very cool oh using that dna using um uh sort of personal personalized medicine they call it nice. is, is a lot of that um powered by um machine learning and artificial intelligence sometimes mm. absolutely there's a lot of biomedical engineering that um can dovetail nicely with a lot of the research projects that are going on in the lab. Mm. Taylor was asking a question earlier, um, and it was it, it made me think about um, so, so like the importance of medical laboratory technicians in in the role of di uh, helping to diagnose um, patients. I, I imagine that uh, the machine learning and artificial intelligence would would play a big role in helping to identify patterns and things like that 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 wouldn't be that you wouldn't be able to do like sort of calculations and, and algorithms that you wouldn't be able to calculate on a sheet of paper yourself, but you, you know, run, you run it through this program and it, it spits out some sort of result. Is that the type of thing that you're seeing? Um, is that how that's yeah, and we, and we call it, we call it bioinformatics in okay. our world. And it's a, basically cool. it's just a way of measuring or managing all of that bio data. And it uh, really comes into play when you start to talk about um, genetic diseases and mm. looking and looking for genetic mutations and things like that. 
Cool. Well, uh, Lisa, I, I want to say this, this has been, um, this has been super fascinating to, to be able to talk to you about, uh, about everything, uh, you know, under the umbrella of the work of, of a medical laboratory technologist. Um, big shout out to you, Chaska, for, for setting this up and introducing us to Lisa. Very, very, uh, very appreciative of that. Thank you so much. And, um, and uh, thank you both. Thanks both both of you for just giving us some of your time today to sit down with us and, and talk to us about some of this stuff. Um, I hope we can see both of you when we come out to Edmonton to do our shows in uh, September. It would be very fun uh, cool. to get you guys out to one of the shows. And um, Tickets available now. <laughs> Good job. Bring your friends. Uh, but uh, thanks, guys. Yeah, thanks for being so generous with your time. This has been really fun. Oh, this, this was great. Thank you. Anytime that we can... Um sort of highlight the profession. I'm all over that, I think. Uh, so thank you for the opportunity and thank you, Chaska, for thinking of me. That's, yeah. Thanks for having us. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Thanks. It was lots yeah. of fun. That is it for this week's edition of Routine Checkup. Thank you so much for tuning in, folks. It means the world to us. And if you'd like to continue listening to the podcast, you can do that right here on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And of course, if you want to support the podcast further, you can leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, or you can simply rate the podcast on your Spotify mobile app. And uh, even better than that, why don't you tell someone that you know, tell someone that you love, tell someone that you don't know, that you listen to Sick Boy Podcast and recommend it to them because we always love those extra ears. The podcast is produced and hosted by myself, Jeremy Saunders, Brian Stever, and Taylor McGilvery. The podcast is managed by Jeffrey Lonis at Talent Bureau. The theme music for today's episode comes from Rich O'Coin. Thanks again, folks. Hope you enjoyed it, and we'll be back next week. That's it for now. My name is Jeremy, and this is Sick Boy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.